Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. There are a lot of misconceptions about hydrogenitis separativa, but a big one is that HS is, quote, unquote, just a skin disease. HS actually affects more than just what we can see on our skin. It causes systemic inflammation throughout our entire body, which means that our inflammation levels are raised, not just the inflammation we see on top of the skin, but also the inflammation basically that affects every system within our bodies. It can also cause high levels of white blood cells, as if our bodies are constantly fighting off an infection. People often experience fatigue, headaches. Sometimes people experience flu-like symptoms when they have an HS flare. HS can be extremely painful. It can raise our risk of infection. Some researchers recently have noticed a relationship between HS and low vitamin D, which is really interesting to me. Severe HS or scars can limit our mobility and lower our energy levels. And a really big one is that HS also affects our mental health and quality of life. So HS really affects someone's entire life. It's not just just on our skin, which is what people, a lot of people think it might be. And I mean, that would be hard enough on its own, but I think it's really important to clarify that HS really affects a lot of aspects of our life. Absolutely. I also... I want to clarify that I feel like it's important to note that a lot of people with HS feel like they've done something to cause this, but that's not true. Nothing we've done can cause HS. HS is caused by an abnormal immune system. It's not caused by poor hygiene or being overweight or using the wrong product on your skin. It's also not contagious. So we shouldn't feel ashamed about it or accept shame from others. Wow, so many misconceptions. Thank you for debunking them all. The many misconceptions that you share across your social media as well. So Mm -hmm. for those at home that might not have heard of this condition, what exactly is HS? Yeah, that's a great question because HS is not rare, but it's not well known. And so we think that a lot more people than are reported experience HS. They just don't know what it is. So HS is a chronic and painful inflammatory skin condition that causes recurring abscesses or flares on the skin. And these abscesses can cause severe scarring as well as tunneling under the top layer of skin. And when I say abscesses, I mean boils or cysts that are filled with fluid and blood on top of our skin. And this fluid will either drain or it will tunnel just below the skin. And when it stays below the skin, it creates tunnels or sinus tracts. And those sinus tracts do not heal except through surgery. So they're permanent. I get a lot of questions about what exactly do I mean when I say tunneling from HS. The best way to think about tunneling 
is to compare it to when you get your ear pierced. And actually a dermatologist described it this way to me and I found it really helpful. So when you get your ear pierced, the post from the earring is a foreign body entering your body. Your immune system wants to protect your body from that foreign object. So it will grow new skin around the post, effectively creating a tunnel around the post of the earring. That's why you have to wait a certain amount of time to change your earring. But once it heals, you can take the earring out and the tunnel does not go away. The tunnel caused by HS is similar. The fluid from your HS flare or boil or cyst will drain below the top layer of your skin. And your immune system recognizes that as a foreign body and it wants to protect you from it. So it grows new skin around that fluid, creating a permanent tunnel underneath your skin. And just like your piercing, that tunnel will not go away unless you cut it out. So the tunneling from HS usually will just grow and become more expansive under our skin and can connect to other HS flares. And that's why HS is a progressive disease, because that will just keep growing and getting worse. That's a fantastic explanation. Thank you. Sometimes it's hard to describe, especially being an audio Mm -hmm. format, what something kind of looks like, but you've been able to give a really great visualization and representation of HS. Thank you. So you mentioned that there's many misconceptions about the cause of HS, Mm -hmm. such as, Mm -hmm. you know, hygiene and, and lifestyle factors, but what are some of the causes or what causes HS? Yeah. So The cause of HS is our immune system, or really that's the primary theory, because actually, while we think genetics and environment are factors that play a role in the development of HS, the exact cause of the condition is still unknown, which is a prominent research subject in the HS world right now. But the current prominent theory is that HS is caused by an abnormal immune system, which is why a lot of people will use the term autoimmune disease when they're referring to HS. Although research shows that it's actually a systemic inflammatory condition caused by the immune system. So even if you're not seeing or feeling a flare at the surface level, your immune system is still in hyperdrive which means that you're more likely to experience a flare in the future. So the current theory is that the immune system creates too much inflammatory proteins in our bodies, which cause an increase of inflammation in our bodies and on our skin. The same dermatologist actually explained it to me this way, that everyone's skin secretes fluid, which is good. You know, we want our skin to be porous and pliable and moist. That's what helps us move. But the problem for those of us with HS is that when our bodies tell our pores to secrete fluid, that fluid becomes trapped in the pore and it blows the pore out. And so then the fluid pools right underneath the skin. And that's what you're feeling when you have one of those painful and inflamed cysts. And that's what causes the tunneling under the skin. And that's also what you see when the cyst bursts and will drain. But again, I think it's important to be clear here that we, meaning those of us with HS, do not do anything to cause HS. It's not caused by bad hygiene, from being dirty, from using certain skincare products, from shaving, from the clothes that we wear, or even from being overweight, although some people find relief in changing their diet. But HS is a chronic inflammatory disease. It is caused by our genes 
that cause our immune system and our inflammatory system to be overactive. And that's what causes HS. Mm. Now, I'm glad you mentioned shaving because when you look at some Mm -hmm. images of HS, so someone with an untrained eye or may not have seen this condition before, they may think that it looks like ingrown hairs or you mm-hmm. know that kind of representation. So we'll get to your diagnosis in a, in a little bit, but how is HS typically diagnosed? And do you find that many of your community members have misdiagnosed their HS because they've thought it was something else like ingrown hairs or folliculitis, et cetera? Yeah, that's another great question. The folliculitis ingrown hair myth is one I hear a lot where that's a misdiagnosis that many people face before they are accurately diagnosed with HS. And I can understand why, because HS often occurs in areas that we shape. So it might occur in your armpit or in your groin or even on your thighs. And so people might just assume that it's an ingrown hair or they might assume that you caught a bacterial infection from your razor. But The key point of HS is that it's recurring. So if you get one cyst in your armpit and it goes away, it probably was something abnormal and unique. If you get one in your arm and it kind of heals, then it comes back and then it spreads and then it scars, that's probably HS. So it's really important, I think, for dermatologists or in any physician to understand and know what HS looks like so that they can be able to tell the difference between those two instances. Misdiagnosis of HS is pretty common. I know personally I was misdiagnosed a couple of times and it leads to a delay in accurate diagnosis for people with HS. I think that the average is like seven to 10 years before people wow. will receive an, yeah, an accurate diagnosis, which is really hard when you're dealing with serious condition that can have serious effects on your health. But to get to your question about how HS is diagnosed, it's usually diagnosed by a dermatologist. Dermatologists usually have the best understanding about what HS is, and they have the most experience with seeing it and visually being able to recognize it. But primary care physicians can also diagnose you, and I've heard of surgeons diagnosing people. So it really depends on who you know that has an understanding of what HS is. Usually a dermatologist will manage your care and treatment, though. So even if someone else diagnoses you, they will probably refer you to a dermatologist. Mm, So how is it treated? So there are a couple of different treatment options for HS. I know it varies actually from country to country, but here in the U.S., there are a couple of different approaches. There's usually a systemic approach, sometimes a hormonal approach, and often an acute approach. And then, of course, there's surgery. So just to talk a little bit more about each of those, when I say a systemic approach, I mean that the medication we're taking treats our entire body. And so usually the goal with that is to treat the inflammation, our systemic inflammation in our body to reduce it. Systemic medicines are usually a part of every HS treatment plan. They just might look a little bit different from person to person. So usually when someone's diagnosed with HS, they start with antibiotics. Antibiotics have an anti-inflammatory component to them. And so the point of being on antibiotics for a long period of time is that we hope that the anti-inflammatory component in the antibiotic will reduce the inflammation in your body. Sometimes we also have topical antibiotics, and that is to also combat the inflammation that we have on top of our skin, as well as any risk of a bacterial infection. 
sometimes for some people, the next step after an antibiotic is to go on Accutane or isotretinoin. And that might sound familiar to some of the people out there because a lot of us were on it when we were teenagers. I know I was. And it's usually used to treat severe acne, but it also is sometimes used to treat HF. But the most common treatment of HF is a biologic called Humira. And at least here in the States, Humira is currently the only FDA-approved medication for HF. So it's the only on-label approved medication for HF. Humira is a TNF-alpha inhibitor, which means that it is reducing the proteins in our bodies that we think might create the inflammation that causes HF. And it is a biologic that we give to ourselves through a shot, and it can be done weekly. Another biologic option for HF, which is similar to Humira, is Remicade. And that's the medication I'm currently on, so I wanted to bring it up. The Remicade is not approved for HF and is therefore considered an off-label prescription, but it is also a TNF-alpha. And again, the hope there is that we're systemically reducing inflammation in our bodies with Remicade. The Remicade is given intravenously through an infusion, unlike Humira, which is a weekly shot. So that was a lot of information. That's some of the systemic treatments for HS. Another approach, which might be used in conjunction with a systemic treatment, is a hormonal medication. So there's definitely a hormonal component to HS. Hormones are what are the trigger that tells our skin to start secreting that fluid I was talking about earlier. Also, the onset of HS is often around puberty, and many notice that flares taper off after menopause or as they get older. So there's definitely a hormonal component to HS. Many of us have noticed that HS will worsen around the time of our menstrual period. Therefore, birth control prescription can help treat HS. But and a couple of other medications I've heard of recently that have a hormonal aspect to them are metformin and buronolactone. It's a big word. And then, of course, like I said before, there is an acute approach to for treatment. And when I me when I say acute, is that these treatments are just to target the symptoms of HS. So, like pain is a really prominent part of HS. So. A lot of people will take pain medications to treat their HF, and pain medications can be over-the-counter or prescription medications. And then another big one is steroids. A lot of times, if we have a flare that's really bad and we just need to get over the hump of it, dermatologists will prescribe a steroid, and it's usually on a short period of time, and it's just to help your skin kind of calm down for a while. And then finally, there is always a surgical option to treatment. Usually surgery is something that people start talking about with severe HF because it's a pretty serious choice. But there are a couple of different procedures that you can do. A smaller procedure might be de-roofing, which is when literally the surgeon will cut off the top layer of skin on a recurring HS area. So they cut off the roof of the tunnel, so to speak, with the hope that by doing so, healthy skin will grow back instead of allowing for that tunnel to continue in that area. A more extreme approach might be to excise a large amount of 
skin. And that is usually when you have multiple HS flares and tunnels in scars in one spot. And so the hope there is that by excising all of the damaged skin, your skin will be able to grow back and be healthier than it was before. But the downside about surgery is that there is still a risk that the HS might return. So you might go through all of this and still have to deal with it. So that can be really challenging for a lot of people. That was a lot of information. Usually treating HS is a combination of all of those options. I think that there are a lot more options now than there were when I was diagnosed. So that's really good news. And my hope is that as we go forward and learn more about these treatments, we'll be able to learn what works better for HS and kind of hone in on that in the future. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of treatment options. And just by, I guess, the level of invasiveness of some of those, it really does Mm -hmm. show how significant a role HS can play in someone's life. Because if they're taking biologics every week for HS, that is, you know, a lifelong commitment or a long-term commitment Mm -hmm. that, you know, have other impacts on someone's life to be organized, Mm -hmm. to have that medication, be giving themselves weekly shots and, and, everything else that comes along with that. Now, on your uh, social media and your blog, you talk about triggers for HS flare, mm-hmm. like the certain things that people find that are triggers. So what are some of those? Yeah, so everyone's triggers are unique to them, especially in the HS world. I see a lot of people talking about their triggers on different support groups, and it can really range. And if you found something that is your trigger, good for you. I think that's great that you're learning more about HS in your body. Some common HS triggers are heat and sweat, which often go hand in hand, movement and exercise as they can irritate the skin and cause flares. Stress, as we know, raises inflammation in the body. So many of us are triggered by stress. Another big one is the types of clothes that we wear and what they're made of can trigger HS. Natural fabrics such as cotton and linen can allow the skin to breathe, whereas synthetic fabrics such as like polyester or spandex can irritate the skin. On the same note, someone might find that the support that spandex offers helps them more than loose cotton. So it's really individual, tight and loose clothing can trigger HS. Another big one, which I touched on a little bit earlier, is your diet. So certain types of foods can be HS triggers. Some common ones that I've seen are dairy, gluten, nightshades like potatoes or peppers, sugars, processed foods, and chocolate, which would be really disappointing, I think. Personally, my triggers that I've come to learn are definitely stress, heat and sweat, dry skin, dairy, and synthetic fabrics and sometimes loose clothing can also be a a trigger for me so it's definitely like a journey you have to go on to find out what your triggers are like removal and then re-enter some things into your diet or lifestyle to see now Catherine tell us about your story it's been almost two decades since you first experienced Mm -hmm. HS so tell us where it all began yeah it really has been almost two decades it's been a long time I experienced my first HS flare when I was 10 years old. So I was at summer camp and I developed this cyst on my butt and it was really painful. And of course I was 10, so it was also really embarrassing. 
and my parents looked at it and didn't really know what it was. <laughs> and so they were concerned. And we went to the doctor. My doctor was also concerned, but confused. And she thought it might be a boil or maybe acne and just drained it. And then after that, we didn't think very much of it because it was just the one. But then I kept coming back. And every time it came back, we didn't really know what to do. I remember going to my pediatrician's office before we went on vacation because I'd gotten another one in my armpit. And my dad wanted to make sure I wouldn't be in pain. We went there. And again, the doctor didn't really know what it was. And she drained it and prescribed me antibiotic. And that's where it ended. And then I also remember seeing a dermatologist in my hometown, and he was clueless. This probably was about when I was 15 or 16, and he didn't really know what it was and asked me. At the time, I was on birth control to manage my mood swings during my periods, and I had noticed that it helped my HS, and he asked me if it helped my HS, and since it was, he just said, well, just keep that up. And that we never went back to see him because he didn't give me a diagnosis. And so at that point, I was pretty much just living in denial about it because I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to treat it. And no one I knew was experiencing it. So it was a really isolating experience when I was a teenager. Yeah, especially like teenagers are pretty used to acne breakouts, although as teens, we absolutely despise, you know, any form of blemish on our face. So to be having mm -hmm. these other changes in your body could be really confronting and, and isolating mm -hmm. as well, I can imagine. So what happened, like, when did the diagnosis actually happen? It was what, seven years after your first flare? Yeah. So when I was 17 years old, like I said, I pretty much just living in denial about HS, hoping it would just go away if I didn't acknowledge it, didn't talk to anyone about it, pretty much was just hiding it from my friends. But luckily, I have a mom and she's amazing. And she noticed that I was still getting stains in my clothes from the draining from HS. So like the blood and the pus would stain my clothes. And she noticed that when she was doing my laundry. And when I was 17 years old, she asked me if I was still experiencing these at a pretty active frequency. And I was, and I told her so, but I didn't really know what to do about it because I remember telling her that no one knew what it was. So why should we even try? And she let me know that there was a new dermatologist in my hometown and that she was, the new dermatologist was getting some really great reviews and would it be okay if she made an appointment for me? And so I told her that it would be fine. And we went to see my dermatologist that I then after that, I saw her for several years and she diagnosed me. I mean, it was amazing. We walked in, we were both really concerned and weary of the situation and just described to her what I was experiencing. She didn't even look at my skin and she knew what it was right away and diagnosed it. And we were shocked because up until then, everyone had been really clueless and didn't even really try to find a diagnosis. And she knew what it was right away. And of course, she did look at my skin after that just to confirm her diagnosis. But it was amazing because here's someone who can diagnose it and can give it a name. And since she knew what it was, she also had ideas for treatments that wasn't just opening and draining it. And so we were able to start me on antibiotics, like I said before, it's pretty common. And then 
because I actually had a name for this thing that was happening to me, I started opening up to the friends in my life about what was going on because I could finally describe it to them. So it was a pretty life-altering moment for me. And even though I was still really frustrated about a lot of aspects of HS, I feel like that really started me on the journey to understanding what was going on with my body. And so while it was really disappointing that it took so long to happen, I was really thankful to finally have an accurate diagnosis. Yeah, that's so good to hear. And I'm sorry that it did take so long for an accurate Mm -hmm. diagnosis. But just when you were telling that story, I was just thinking, oh, bless the dermatologists. And really, I just want to do a shout out to dermatologists and really any, um, any really, you know, well-knowledged healthcare professionals, you know, you're just doing your everyday job. Someone comes in, you perform a diagnosis within the space of a couple of minutes because of the years of education and dedication to your work that you've done. And to you, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's really rewarding, but to Mm -hmm. someone that has not been diagnosed for seven years to walk in and have a diagnosis in a matter of minutes, like Mm -hmm. as you said, life altering. So just so incredible that we have these people in our healthcare system that can offer so much help and support when we know who to go to. So it's really important to be going to professionals who know what they're talking about because you'll get a diagnosis and treatment plan so much faster. Yeah, absolutely. So Catherine, talk us about the journey after the diagnosis. You started being a little bit more vocal about communicating this with your friends and the treatment plan, but walk us kind of through the next several years. Yeah, so pretty quickly after that, we realized that the antibiotics weren't really helping me. And I started Accutane, which I actually ended up doing three times. But I don't know if it's still like this, but at the time you had to go on Accutane before your insurance would approve Humira. So she had to prescribe Accutane for me. We gave it a good shot. It didn't work. And so then she fought with my insurance company for a little while to get me approved for the Humira. And at the time, Humira was not approved for HS, so it was off-label, which presented its own challenges. And so I'm really grateful that she went to bat for me and got, was able to prescribe the Humira for me. Um, but at that time, I had just started my freshman year of college, so I was 18 years old, and trying to manage this chronic disease that I didn't know very much about, and it was really weird to be managing these weekly Humira injections in my dorm room, especially when Humira has to be kept at a certain temperature. So it was really important that it was kept in my refrigerator until I had to take it. So for a couple of years, I was on Humira. I feel like for a while it worked. And then I got to the point where I was really frustrated with all of the challenges that came with taking it and the benefits weren't outweighing the hassle of it. So I think I was on Humira probably for like four years, maybe five years, when my dermatologist started talking to me about different surgery options. So I was really reluctant to have surgery. I did not want to do surgery. Surgery is a really serious thing to go through, especially with HS, because it's kind of an art form. Every surgery for HS is a little bit different. And so I really did not want to do surgery, but I also did not want to keep doing Humira. And so at one point, my dermatologist 
looked at me and said there was nothing else she could do for me, which was really scary and upsetting. And I, again, am very grateful to my parents because they just jumped into action when I went home and told them that we didn't have any other options. My dad immersed himself in research and started looking up different options for treatments and therapies for HS and research and looking at people who specialize in HS, which again, I think is an important part of my journey because that's when I learned that we can be our own advocate and do our own research into HS and that knowledge is an important part of advocating for ourselves. I feel like he really was an example to me on that. In doing that research, he found kind of a new, well, I don't know if it's still new, but at the time it was a new treatment option for surgery, which would be to use a CO2 laser to cut out your skin instead of the traditional surgery. And it was supposed to be less invasive and in some cases had a better outcome. So we decided to go ahead with that. I saw a dermatologist in Northern Ohio and went ahead with the CO2 laser skin removal procedure in my armpit. And then I did it again in my thigh. And so it was really successful, but really hard on my body. He decided that I should heal by secondary intention, which means that they don't do anything to the wound except for wound dressings. So it took months and months for the wound to close, which meant that I had to do wound dressings for months and months. So it was really challenging for me to do that. But because I had some success with this form of surgery, I was more open to other options. And so at that point, I consulted a general surgeon about a more traditional approach to HS surgery. And with that surgeon, I've had several surgeries, actually. She first did one on my abdomen, where she excised all the skin that i had had from HS. And then she did one in my armpit. And then she did one, actually, she did two on each thigh. And so a couple of those surgeries, she consulted with a plastic surgeon, actually, to help understand how I, my skin could better heal from those surgeries because they were so serious and so large. Um, and so two of the areas that I had surgery on, the plastic surgeon used skin grafts. And then in my armpit, she used a skin flap, which is a crazy procedure that I still don't understand. But essentially, they cut out a part of your skin and rotate it and stretch it to make a new armpit for me. And it's pretty amazing. But again, that recovery period was really long and intensive. So at that point, I decided I need to give myself a break. <laughs> so I have not had any surgery since then. And I also decided that I was done with Humira. I didn't think it was working. It was really hard. It was really a challenge for me to take it. So at that point, I consulted a different dermatologist who prescribed Remicade to me. And Remicade is an off-label immunosuppressant that is another anti-inflammatory medication. And so this was, I think, probably three years ago at this point. And so I've been on Remicade since then. I'm also on Nexplanon. I have Nexplanon implanted in my arm. It's a birth control implantation that I think also helps to regulate my flares. And then, of course, about a year ago, you know, I've had this whole journey with HS and faced a lot of frustrations with it and had a lot of emotions 
dealing with a chronic illness and had all of these emotions and not a lot of outlets for it. And so, of course, a year ago, I started KSNHS, which is my Instagram and now blog, where I talk in a lot more detail about everything I just went through, but also advocate for HS awareness, because I think it's really important for a lot of people to learn more about HS, especially so that, you know, people don't have to wait seven years like I did to have a diagnosis. People can get diagnosed earlier and learn more about their bodies. That's really what I want to have be the outcome of the work I'm doing. Yeah, wow. What a journey, Catherine. So what Mm -hmm. age were you when you first had the CO2? It was the year I went to grad school, which was 2015. So I would have been 23. Wow. Yeah. I was 23 when I finally had surgery. That's a lot to navigate, studying, Mm -hmm. living out of home. I don't know if you're still in a dorm at that point and then dressing changes and things. Yeah, it was a lot to handle. Yeah, so you've certainly gone through all the different, like many, many different treatments of HS, which I guess makes you so well-versed in the condition. Yeah, I've done it all. Yeah, also made sense to start sharing your story. So how did it start? It was interesting just before we started recording, we were talking about you had this intention that you wanted to really share more about your experience a month before really COVID hit, which I find really um, fortuitous. So yeah, tell us more about the beginnings of KS and HS. Yeah, so KS and HS started really with just talking to my friends. I had already been thinking about possibly doing some kind of HS awareness, social media reach account where I would talk about HS and my journey with it, but I didn't really know what I would share because at the time I didn't really think a lot of people would care about what I was going through. And I didn't really know what I would be able to use visually because I didn't really have a lot of resources at the time. And there is a lot of misinformation and misconceptions about HS, even in the medical community. And that really frustrated me. And I felt like I really wanted to have an outlet for that, but I wasn't really sure what I should use. And so about a year ago, actually, so probably January 2020 at this point, I was talking to a friend of mine and she told me that she really appreciated it when I talked about what I was going through with HS on my own personal Instagram. And she reminded me that she doesn't know what I'm going through unless I share it which is a really good reminder that our friends can't read our minds. And she liked being able to learn more about the struggles that I face dealing with a chronic illness in HS. And she really encouraged me to talk about it more on social media and told me that she thought people would be interested in what I had to say. So that was kind of the outside validation that I needed to really get me moving on this idea I was kind of percolating about already. But another challenge I was having is that There's really a lack of good, informative visuals in the HS community. There's a lot of dense research that people can't really access or read. Um, There's a couple of support groups and pages, but there's not a lot else. And so I wasn't really sure what I was actually going to share on Instagram, given that Instagram is a largely visual medium. So I shared those concerns with another friend of mine. And she suggested that I use Canva, which was really new to me at the time. And now I use it all the time. And 
she has a lot of experience with graphic design and she was the one who was really able to show me the rope. So pretty soon I realized I could make a lot of the visuals I wanted simply by using Canva to relay my own experiences and what I was researching, but also bust some of those myths that we've already talked about. So at that point, I was like, okay, I have the tools I need now and the support from my friends. And I gave myself personal deadline. I'm going to start this Instagram and get it going by the end of February. So this was February 2020, a couple of weeks before the entire country shut down for COVID, which was, like you said, fortuitous for me because... I suddenly had a lot of extra time on my hands. And as I learned really quickly, managing an Instagram actually does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of time for me to create the visuals I'm putting out and to write the captions for the Instagram post. It also meant that I had a lot of time to think. (laughs) So I was able to use that time to think about what I wanted to say and really be intentional with the Instagram and do a lot of research to make sure that I was putting out information that was factually accurate, as well as advocating for myself and others. So I feel like if it weren't for COVID and for all this extra time I've had in the past year, I would not have been able to grow KSNHS to the level that it is now. And I definitely would not have been able to start my blog. But I'm really excited about my blog because I feel like it complements my Instagram page, I now have a platform that is broader and a little bit more permanent, and I can use it to house my longer captions and essays, as well as sharing different resources on HF. So it has been like a little bit fortuitous to me to have this extra time to really grow kids and HF and connect with people online. And you've got a background actually in social work. So Mm -hmm. this background, I'm sure, has really helped a lot when advocating for those with chronic illness awareness. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I do. I have my bachelor's in social work, and I feel like being a social worker has really influenced me in a lot of ways. Actually, shout out, March is social work month, which when we're recording this, today's the last day of March. So I've been doing this whole series on my Instagram about major social workers that I admire. And one of them talks about how you don't stop being a social worker at the end of the day. You really take those values into all aspects of what you do. And I feel like that's really true on my KSNHS Instagram. And so I feel like in addition to reporting information that's factual about HS and busting these myths that I've seen other people experience. I'm also really aware of the challenges that people face for their mental health. I feel like that's a really important aspect of HS that we don't talk about a lot. For instance, every dermatologist I've seen has asked me about my mental health, but none of them have referred me to a mental health specialist, which is something that really frustrates me because they acknowledge that it's an important part of living with HS but they don't help us treat it. So I feel like being able to talk about a lot of the different feelings and emotions that we have in reaction to dealing with HS and the way that it affects our mental health is a really important part of bringing about HS awareness and advocating for ourselves. And I feel like my background in social work really helps me do that. Mm -hmm. I also feel like on a broader level, I'm able to hopefully bring some awareness to HS in a social justice lens. So a lot of people face discrimination in our healthcare system, whether that's from their race, 
or their age or their gender or their size or their mental health or their socioeconomic background. You know, they're facing these different obstacles in accessing treatment and care for their HF. And so it's really important to me to bring that lens to the work I do as well. Yeah, and you're certainly doing that really well. And those conversations are so important, I think, especially from certain outsiders' perspective, they see skin conditions just in general and can often think it's more cosmetic in nature. So yeah, I think it's really important to actually share all the effects that it has had on your life and and the ongoing hospital visits and the flare-ups and the other stigma that's attached to it as well. So thank you for, you know, sharing. I'm sure at times it's been, um, you know, you've, you've made yourself vulnerable, but there is that beauty and vulnerability that others can also feel like they're a part of something and they're not feeling alone as well. So yeah, congratulations on being that voice for those in the HS community. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to hear, Catherine, do you have some favorite community moments? Something that's so great about social media is that you can connect with people from all different backgrounds and from the other side of the world. So I'd love to hear any stories that you have. I feel like that's been the most rewarding part about this journey. I started KSNHS really as a way, as an outlet for me to talk about the frustrations and emotions I have about HF. And it really turned into a way for me to connect with other people and hear their stories. And I started out thinking that no one would really care about what I had to say. And it turns out a lot of people care. And there's already a really rich community on Instagram that's out there advocating for what it's like to live with chronic illnesses. And there's several other advocates out there talking about what it's like to live with HF. And so it's really been inspiring for me to be a part of that, to be like a little addition to that community is really been empowering to me and also I've been able to learn a lot more about myself and so I'm able to use what I learned about myself and channel that right back into KS and HF and continue advocating so it's really been powerful and I feel like you know several people have reached out to me privately on messaging and Instagram and told me that they started crying as they read my profile and they started crying as they looked at my pictures and read my experience, or they felt validated about what I had to say on Instagram about the challenges that we face, or they were empowered to talk to their family members about what they're going through or go back to their doctor and tell them, no, you need to listen to me. This is what's going on. I think it's this disease. And that is so just amazing. I mean, there's no words for it to say how amazing it is to have people tell me that I help them like that. Because, you know, I didn't have someone like that growing up. HS was not known when I was a kid. And, you know, Instagram didn't even exist, first of all, when I was a child. And Facebook didn't really have these kinds of support groups. And so I never really had any sort of resource to go to to learn these things I had to do it all myself and so I really just want to be the person that I wish I had when I was younger and by doing so I hope that I can help young or older people who have HS 
and in turn that helps myself. And so to be able to see that I am helping some people, it's really inspiring and it really makes me want to keep doing this. So it's really amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. You've also, just with starting your blog, had some opportunities mm-hmm. to do some kind of external writing on one of your favorite resource sites. Tell us how this happened. Yeah. So like I said, I was able to recently start my blog, ksnhs.com, and I put a couple of different essays on there. And someone was able to see the work that I was doing, the writing I've been doing about hydrogenitis separativa. And she reached out to me and asked me if I would like to start working with their organization. And so the site is hsdisease.com. And it's a community about HS from people who have HS. So it's a part of a bigger organization called Health Union. And they create these smaller communities for chronic illnesses where we can go and hear from other people who have HS about what it's like to live with it or different ways that we can manage it, or different frustrations we have. And it's all written by people who have HS. And so it's a really amazing opportunity. I'm very excited to join them. I just joined them very recently. So I've written a couple of articles for them that you can check out. But I think it'll be a really great resource for people who have HS, don't really know what it is, don't know where to start. Because it's not just you know, medical professionals who don't have HS telling you what to do. It's people who have HS talking about their experiences and what worked and what didn't work. Um, And so I think that's a really great opportunity for people and resource. Mm, Fantastic. Do you have other favorite resources for HS that you can share? Yeah. So one of my favorite resources is the HS Foundation, which is kind of a conglomeration of different HS specialists coming together to get kind of give basic info about what HS is, but also recent research and prominent theories and different ways of treating HS. So that's like a really great site to go to if you're just learning about what HS is. And the HS Foundation also recently published the North American Treatment Guidelines, which is really exciting. It's the first comprehensive written management guideline for North America which we've never had before. And I believe it was published in the last year. So I think that's really exciting. I'm kind of nerdy, so I actually read it. (laughs) It's a lot of like, it's like really dense academic research language, but it also really gives a lot of good information about what's being done in the HS world right now. So that's a really great resource. Another great resource, I think, is a site called No BS About HS, which people might have actually seen ads for. I've seen a couple of ads for them, like on Pandora or just on different blog sites. Full disclosure, it's sponsored by AbbVie, which is the pharmaceutical company that makes the biological drug Humira. But I've checked it out. I think it has really great resources and information especially for people who are just starting out in the HS world and don't really know anything about it. It's pretty accurate and engaging and well done. And so I think that's a great place to start if you're just starting to learn about HS. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing those resources. We'll put some in the show notes, but of course, for any listeners, Catherine has a really extensive list on her blog as well about some of her favorite resources. And I'd like to ask Catherine any three pieces of advice for someone that might be living with HS, maybe someone that is yet to be diagnosed, but they're 
that's kind of thinking of all these symptoms and perhaps they're ready to make an appointment with a medical professional? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I kind of talk a little bit actually about what to do if you think you have HS on my blog, because I, I think that's a really important question. And it can be really scary to talk to your doctor about something that's really vulnerable, like HS. And so I think one piece of advice I have is to write down your questions. So literally write out why you think you have HS, what the symptoms of HS are, and the things that you want to talk to your doctor about. Because I know that a lot of us have experienced this where you go to your doctor's office and you have every intention to bring things up and your doctor or the nurse just kind of railroads you and talks about what they want to talk about. And doctors are really busy, so they can only spend a couple of minutes with you and they have to move on. And next thing you know, the appointment's over and you haven't gotten to say the things you wanted to say. So someone suggested this to me, actually. You can actually literally write down your questions and give them to the intake nurse and ask the nurse to give them to the doctor. And that will really guarantee that the doctor sees the things that you want to talk about and make sure that you have the time to bring these concerns up. Another tool that you might want to use if you think you have HS and have been diagnosed yet, a lot of times, this happens to me all the time, HS all of a sudden acts really good and doesn't flare and you have no proof of your HS when you go see your doctor, which is so frustrating because most of the time it's painful and flaring and you're miserable. And then all of a sudden you see your doctor and it's fine and there's nothing to show your doctor. So I think a really great idea is to document it as you experience it. So take a lot of pictures about of your different flares, document what you are feeling when you have a flare and what you're experiencing. That way you have something to show your doctor in your appointment and they have something that they can see to show them what your HS looks like. You can also find images of HS online and bring those to your appointment, especially if your doctor is not familiar with it. And so that's a way to educate your doctor on it. And you can refer your doctor to the sites we just talked about, especially the North American guidelines. I mean, that was written for doctors. So that would be a great resource to give your doctor if they don't know what HS is. Okay, I feel like that was two pieces of advice. <laughs> but so, great pieces. Um, yeah, share another one. Have you, <laughs> share a few more if you'd like. I, have, I, I was going to say I have several, so you can always just cut me off. Hey, go um, for it. Share away. Another piece of advice I have, and this took me a really long time to learn, but find a good doctor. If your doctor is ignorant or insensitive, or not listening to you, you don't need to see that doctor again. That took me a really long time to learn. I feel like we feel like we owe our doctors our time because they have all of this experience and knowledge. But if you don't feel comfortable with your doctor, you don't have to see them again. Nothing. There's no doctor police <laughs> that's going to come and tell you that you have to go back to them. So you can try and find a new doctor that is listening to you and is knowledgeable about HS and can help you find treatments that work for you. I know that it is challenging to get a new doctor, especially if people are facing issues with insurance or affording it, or there's limited options in their area. But really finding a good, supportive, empathetic, knowledgeable, helpful doctor will help you so much. And I know it's something that I really try to do. So that's 
definitely a piece of advice I have for people. And then also, I'm also working on this one, but a fourth piece of advice I have is use your friends and family for support. Like I said earlier, it took me probably seven years and then some to start opening up to my friends about what I was going through. And I'm definitely still working on turning to them when I need them. But the people who truly love you in your life want to support you. And like I said before, our friends and family cannot read our minds. They don't know what we're experiencing because they don't have HS or they don't have it as severely as we do. And they don't know how we need help unless we tell them. So opening up to your friends and family for support, I think, can be really helpful and make a huge difference. And for me, starting small and doing small acts of my friends and realizing that they would still be there for me and come through for me really helps me build up to the bigger acts and share more of those vulnerable parts of HS. And I think it also helps strengthen our relationship. So that was four pieces of advice. <laughs> and fantastic advice. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, you've certainly highlighted some things that I haven't considered before. So thank you for that. Finally, where can people find more about you and the work that you're doing with HS? Yeah. So like I've said multiple times, you can visit my Instagram. The handle is at KS and HS. That's really where I probably update the most often. And then you can also check out my blog, which is ksnhs.com. And there's a lot of resources on there about places you can go to to learn more about HS. There's my blog on there as well, obviously. And I answer a couple of frequently asked questions about HS. And I talk a little bit more about the HS lingo. So like tunneling, abscesses, systemic inflammation, that sort of thing. If you think that you have HS and want to see examples of what HS looks like, I actually started another Instagram called This Is What HS Looks Like, and it's just pictures of HS. So it's completely anonymous. People submit their images to me anonymously, and I post them on the Instagram. And I think that that has helped some people realize that what they're experiencing is HS. It's a great resource because, as you mentioned earlier, with medical books and things, often the photos that are shared are like worst case scenarios, you know, textbook kind of worst case scenarios. So it's really good to see uh, HS examples on all different Mm -hmm. areas of the body, all different skin Mm -hmm. types. So that's a good resource to have a look at as well. Catherine, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your experience in HS today. It's just been so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is, I've been so excited to share more about what I'm doing and talk more about HS. Wonderful. Thank you.